The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Is Chicago Bears head coach Matt Nagy a good play caller? What went wrong with his offense in 2019? And what should we expect in 2020? I bring on X's and O's analyst and the man who wrote the book on the Bears offense, Bobby Peters, to break down Nagy 2019 and 2020 with me on this episode of Bear With Me. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Bear With Me, a Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, right here on the Windy City Gridiron Podcasting Network. And today I have got an absolute treat for you, because while fans like me can go through the tape and break down what we see of players a whole lot of the time on both defense and offense, we're left guessing as to what a player's responsibility is on any given play, especially on offense. And let's be honest, if you know a quarterback's progression, you're able to grade him, if you will, talk about him and analyze him much better than if you're just taking a look and saying, ah, he threw that wrong or uh, that seems inaccurate. You get the idea. And today I have on the line with me, Bobby Peters, the man who has literally written the book on Matt Nagy's offense. He went through absolutely every single play as a Bears fan himself and wrote a wonderful book called the 2018 Chicago Bears Complete Offensive Manual that I can't recommend enough. I was traveling this weekend and just poured over it again and again because you may not know this about me, but I don't have an extensive football playing experience and was finally able to really understand how play design is started at a base level. And even I'm learning a ton about not only Matt Nagy's offense, but how offense works in general. Bobby, I'm so excited to have you on the line. How are you doing today? Super pumped, uh, Robert, to be talking about the Bears. As you said, I'm a, yeah, I'm a full, you know, I like to think of myself as like an X and O analyst, but, uh, you know, I'm definitely a Bears fan, too. So writing that book uh, was a lot more fun than the, the typical project, that's for sure. Well, it sure must have been fun after the 12-4 and 4 season. I remember doing the same thing with my YouTube channel. Gosh, it felt like we were just gassing up for this beautiful 2019 season that then kind of fell apart. And one of the biggest complaints, I know you've heard it, I know I've heard it, is this idea that Matt Nagy is a terrible play caller and that all the smoke and mirrors from 2018 faded and left a bare bones ramshackle offense that just wasn't enough in 2019. And I mean, as I read through this book, Bobby, maybe I'm reading it wrong, 
but it seems like tons of the concepts that were so useful in 2018 were used again in 2019 and things just fell out of sync. To some degree, it goes back to this idea that for those of you who don't know, Matt Nagy's kind of talked about this, but plays set up other plays. There's all kinds of plays that, again, if this wasn't a podcast and I could show video, and maybe I will at some point, uh, I would show different things like how that Max Hitches play that Matt Nagy loves to call a whole bunch of curl routes, it's got a counterpart to it, Max Fades, where everybody just runs down the field. And it works. That gets space. It's basically four verticals, but there's only three. There's another, uh, or there's a couple other options where there's a halfback option that's generally low. It's got shorter routes to it. And there's a, a wheel route, also called a whirl route, inside Matt Nagy's playbook that counters off of it if people start to play it too heavily. There's a Seattle call in there, which if you don't know, basically has two clearing post routes and a tight end breaks back into the space it creates, which plays really well with a scissors flood action and a tight end crossing route over the middle. A lot of this might sound like jargon, but as you read through Bobby's book, you see these plays feed off each other and you have to run them right or they're just not dangerous enough to draw the defense's attention. But Overall, Bobby, I guess I'll look to you as the expert. When it comes to play calling, what did you see from Matt Nagy? Was there a noticeable difference? And frankly, if you want to just back us up and give us some fill-in information, what makes a good play caller? What goes into this art? So, so the, the play calling thing is ever evolving. Um, let's let's start with let's start with what changed from 2018 to 2019. For the most part, the playbook was the same for the Bears, right? Especially early in the season, they might have tweaked some things here or there, used a different formation here or there, but the concepts and the reads were the same. And in 2018, although the Bears were able to create some big plays, they were still inconsistent with some of the execution with it, right? Like Mitch, you know, I remember the you were talking about that halfback read, that halfback option read concept. Yeah, I remember a couple of big plays, you know, one against Miami. Actually, I think they had two or three against Miami and then others throughout the season. And that, that'll bump up your average. That'll make you look better. But if you're inconsistent with the rest of it and you're not completing, converting third downs, you know, that's in the long run, that stuff's going to is going to bite you as you're not getting consistent with it and not consistent with the progression. And in 2019, it, the, the times they completed it, they weren't getting 60 yarders. They were getting five or six yarders. And, you know, when, when that happens, it looks a whole lot worse than, um, you know, what it did in 2018. So that, that, you know, obviously there's a lot of other contributing factors, but that's probably the biggest difference is the inconsistencies were kind of masked in 2018 to a degree. And in 2019, they were just more clear because there was no, there was no big play. There was no timely big plays either. That's another part of 2018 were timely big plays. So, um, so that's kind of that, that nutshell. And then like you talked about play calling, I mean, we could, we could do a whole episode on play calling, but it's, it's an ever evolving, um, it's an ever evolving science and art. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's a science or an art. I'd say it's a little bit of both. And, you know, we, we talked a little bit earlier about um, before we started recording, how guys like Kyle Shanahan, Sean Payton, uh, Josh McDaniels, you know, they've been doing this 10 plus years and they weren't as good 10 years ago as what they are now. So it's definitely something that, you know, that Nagy has to improve on and he, and he will, he's acknowledged that, you know, he, he takes some of the blame for what happened last year. And, um, you know, I have no doubt, you know, based on, you know, based on how much the players love him and how, how the, he didn't lose the locker room last year, that he will continue to get better as a play caller. And, you know, that's something that I have to, at the start of this episode, acknowledge. I know sometimes, because I talk about Trubisky versus Foles a lot, but there's no denying. The offensive line, it played a role. Receivers out of place, 
that played a role. The running backs, the the differences between Jordan Howard, who was such a clean downhill runner. And reading through the playbook, it's clear to see that the Bears worked to feature him. And it doesn't seem like Montgomery necessarily. I mean, he certainly wasn't the same player as Howard. So there were a couple of those concepts that were just, hey, Howard, take this slam into the line like the duo runs that it didn't seem like Montgomery was quite as strong in. There are tons of reasons that the Bears in 2019 struggled. It's not all on the quarterback, but there's an amazing amount of this book as I'm going through it. There's a play for those of you listening called Pin, which basically has a deep post route on the left side one receiver, a dig route on the the two receiver, as it's called. So think the second receiver in from that left side and then the slot receiver running another deep post. The goal of this call, especially in single high coverage, is to free up that deep post route. It's to get you a shot downfield. And the Bears, when they seem to call deep action in 2019, struggled. You brought up the Miami game. That's one of my favorites to talk about from 2018, if only for one reason. For as many nice, deep plays downfield as it had, think that fade to Taylor Gabriel that picked up 40 yards, think a couple other big throws downfield, it also had one of the most ghastly misses I've seen all season in 2018 to Anthony Miller, well over the deep middle. But it also had another touchdown. It was it was a cavalcade of inconsistency. And the Bears put up 28 points, but I wouldn't call it in style. It was, it was exactly what you're talking about. 2018 was inconsistent. It had good notes. It had bad notes. And it blended together into a pretty good offense that in 2019 seemed to have the wheels fall off. But when it comes to play calling, did you see consistency in 2019? Was it just team misexecution? Like, when it comes to Matt Nagy calling the plays, was there, I know you talked about not a lot changed in the language. Did much change in the tendency? So when... And, and this is this is where the growing as a play caller, um, you know, it, it has to take place. Right. So like we like we did, like we've kind of established 2018, there were there were inconsistencies, but there were the, there were big plays enough to where Matt Nagy didn't have to like, you know, in, in the in the week, you know, the week after the game have to kind of, you know, do any wholesale changes or kind of retool what what his you know, overall philosophy for the offense is because they still had those big plays, they were able still to score points. Well, in 2019, when when they weren't scoring points and their offense was just constantly three and out, three and out, three and out, as a play caller, you gotta. This is when you when you get hit with adversity like this for the first time, you gotta you gotta figure out something. You gotta figure out a way to to squeeze as much juice out of the orange as you can, but obviously understanding that there's only so much juice in that orange. So, um, yeah, I mean, he he definitely struggled with that. I think there were honestly there were things that he could have done better, and he acknowledges it too, right? Like he. He admits as much in his press conferences that that there are things he would have done differently. There are things he needs to improve on. So I think as a coach, as a play caller, learning to to when, when stuff doesn't work, how to maximize your offense and still, you know, still muster up a way to put up 14 or 21 points. You know, when you've got it all, you know, when you've got a, a, a top defense in the league, you know, some weeks all you need to do is 14 or 21. I think, you know, especially that week one game against Green Bay, if they, you know, if they put up 14 points, they win that game. So. You know, that's we're not asking for 30 points here. We're asking for, um, you know, a way to kind of squeeze out another touchdown or two. And I think if the, if the Bears can find ways to do that this year, obviously, you know, they may they very well could have a different quarterback playing um, as well. So um, I, I think ways when the offense isn't isn't consistent, when it's struggling to, to find a way to squeak out another touchdown or two uh, is key. 
And it makes sense. I mean, there are huge moments in 2018 I could point back to. Week two against the Seahawks, I think it was the third quarter. The Rams drive that ended with Santa's sleigh, if I'm remembering correctly. There are a bunch of drives that you can see in 2018 where Matt Nagy basically put on his, like, I don't know, big boy pants, whatever you want to call them, and called a beautiful drive to manufacture points despite inefficient offense. The Yeah, that that sorry to cut you off, but that I I want to jump on that Rams point. So that Rams game from 2018, what he did, I believe it was the third quarter when they started to move the ball and eke out that touchdown or two that we were talking about. They they kind of he kind of simplified stuff. He kind of scrapped a lot of their drop back pass game and he featured um, one of my favorite concepts in their offense. It's so imagine a, a spread formation, a two, so two receivers to the left, two to the right. You got Tariq Cohen in the backfield, no tight ends. Okay. The bear, uh, the bears would run their outside zone scheme, but they would kind of, um, they would kind of what's use what, what I call a fold, a fold technique. Right. So like they would pin the one, so say the center would block back on a one technique and a one technique is a guy who lines up between a guard and the center. So the center would block back and the guard would pull through. So it kind of looks like a, the rest of the line's blocking outside zone, but it looks like power. So sorry, that's kind of a bad, quick, quick and dirty explanation of it. But um, what that does is that sets up the RPO action off of it. So the two receivers to the side that Cohen um, starts off on run uh, slant routes. Okay. So what they're trying to do, and the, the Rams were playing a ton of cover three. So what they're trying to do is hit that window to the number two receiver on that side. If the inside backer, flows with the run action and a couple of times, I think they hit Allen Robinson once or twice on that, but what it ended up doing was the offensive line was able to get good angles, get good kick out, um, get good drive blocks on the front side of that, um, that outside zone scheme. And Cohen had some huge runs in that game or on that drive to set up that, that nice, uh, that nice touchdown there. But what, so like, so like that's an example of Matt Nagy, you know, saying, okay, my quarterback's struggling with the drop back pass game. What can we do? Let's simplify it with his RPO. You, Mitch, you literally just read the inside linebacker's hips. Okay, if he flows with the run, you throw the slant. It should be open. We have inside leverage on it. Allen Robinson's a tremendous receiver. Even if he have, even if he has head up leverage, he can still win. So we're going there. If not, if he stays back, okay, if he stays back in the slant window, you're handing the ball off, and now we've got five on five uh, up front. We got a hat for a hat. We can run the ball. So. And they did that, and Mitch was Mitch did a great job reading it on that drive. Cohen was explosive; he hit the hole, um, and that that's exactly what we were talking about, right? They eked out another mm-hmm. touchdown or two, just enough to win that game. In 2019, the difference was Mitch struggled with reading the RPOs. I I, I wrote a, a blog article. I know we were talking about that earlier, but I wrote a blog article back uh, on my website back in January, and I put it, I put together like a it's like a minute or a minute and a half cut up of different. I think there's maybe like 10 or 12 clips on there of Mitch just uh, struggling with the RPO read. And like we talked about, that's the easiest read a quarterback can make is an RPO read. You literally just read one player. It's either you do this or this based on his movement. Every other assignment and job that's placed on a quarterback's plate is much more difficult than that. That's the easiest it can get. And he struggled with that at times. And also too, we talked about the offensive line when, when they had five on five in that Rams game, they, they were able to move guys. Each guy was able to win their, their matchup and get enough space for Cohen to slither through. And in 2019, that just wasn't the case. There were missed assignments. There were there were guys getting beat, um, you know. So that 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 just that didn't carry over. And then even Cohen too. There were a lot of runs in 2019 where, where okay. So like we talk about outside zone. A running back's footwork on outside zone is his aiming point is the outside leg of the tight end, the play side tight end, or the ghost tight end. So when I say ghost tight end, like I was describing in that spread set, there's no tight end, but he the running back still has to aim for that spot. 
a lot of times Cohen would do that and he wouldn't, he wouldn't read it. He wouldn't read outside in. He would just immediately try to cut back. And if you don't, you know, we, you, we always hear do your job from Belichick and he wasn't doing his job. He was just trying to guess and be a superhero. And, you know, a, a lot of times there, the backside wasn't sealed. It didn't have enough time to get sealed yet. Right. Like the backside tackling guard didn't have enough time to work their combo. So that guy splits it and makes play in the backfield. So there's that, that's my long way of saying that there's, you know, the same the same idea and the same thought process that was successful for Nagy in 2018 to squeak out those touchdowns. He, it just didn't work in 2019 because there were there were one play it's the quarterback, the next play it's the running back, the next play it's the offensive line. Like guys just took turns, you know, goofing goofing stuff up like that when he simplified. So as a coach, you know, there's there's only so much you can do. Yes, um, you know, he certainly could have done more, but there's only so much you can do when you do when even when you do simplify and guys still struggle. Absolutely, and you know. There's there's something to be said for the idea that he's the head coach. The buck stops with him when everybody is messing up. At some point, it bubbles up to Nagy, and it does. I'm not about to say the guy's blameless for the fact that it seems as if, on the other side of things, he kind of didn't have a leg to stand on. I mean, one thing that going back I look at, and I know a lot of people are saying that Matt Nagy doesn't ever adapt his offense. Well, reading through the 29, or 2018 book, let me be clear, guys. David Montgomery is infinitely more a Matt Nagy West Coast offense running back than Jordan Howard is. But the amount of outside zone that was in the Bears 2018 playbook, to me, is a testament to the fact that Matt Nagy knew, coming from 2017, the whole offensive line already knew how to run offense or outside zone with John Fox, and that it was, frankly, Jordan Howard's preferred running style. And the way that Matt Nagy iterated on those outside zone calls, especially, you talked about this a lot in your book, but the locking action, as it's called, on those outside zone runs, which basically means, let's say, uh, that you have an outside zone flowing to the right, that the left tackle, Charles Leno, would step in and instead of outside zone blocking, which generally means you're going to try to get outside leverage on your blocker, he would step up on his man and lock him off. Think like a basic down block to set up an RPO. He, he turned those outside zone runs into potential RPOs, which fits his system, quote-unquote, while also blending it with other systems. And coming into 2018, at least that seemed to create some movement, like you're talking about. When, when he needed to manufacture a touchdown, he basically turned to the running game. And honestly, the running game in 2019 was just abysmal. And we can point to tons of things. David Montgomery seemed to have issues with vision. You could, Whether it's vision or trust, honestly, as I watch, sometimes it feels like it's hard to tell because the offensive line was so inconsistent about who would actually hit their blocks that it felt like running backs, they couldn't necessarily trust Cody Whitehair, couldn't necessarily trust Charles Leno, couldn't necessarily trust James Daniels. I'll go all the way down the list if you need me to, but I think you get the point that they almost seemed to be preparing to bounce outside instead of running inside. And point is, running plays just broke down constantly with missed blocks, improper assignments, couldn't get off double teams. You get the idea. It felt as if, as a play caller, there wasn't much Nagy could do sometimes. And am I seeing that correctly? Is there something that you saw in the 2019 season that would say, nah, I mean, he could have easily done this? Or is that a proper read of things where... Sometimes it was like Matt Nagy would try to turn to the passing game, but he couldn't simplify it any more than it was. And then he'd try to turn back to the running game, and nobody did what they were supposed to. Is that a proper read of things? 
Yes. Yeah, so, so we talk about, you know, Matt Nagy's willingness or unwillingness to adapt. And even in 2018, he did. With, and, then, and the running game is a shining example. Early on in 2018, you know, especially with Mark Helfrich coming in, Harry Heastand, you know, college coaches fresh with college, you know, college run schemes. Um, the, the Bears ran a ton of different, uh, ton of different run schemes. They were in, inside zone, outside zone, gap. They were even. I see like our, eight. Just to your point, GT duo inside outside zone locking. Yeah, they were running power pin pull. Yeah, pin pull. I mean, they were running a ton of different schemes, and you know, about halfway through the season last year, I want to say it was Minnesota game, like week eleven or something, was when it was when Nagy and the offensive coaching staff, like he came, you know, it was a post game press conference. He's like, yeah, we're gonna take a hard look at the run game. We got to get this figured out. We got to get this figured out. And they came back, and their response was to run a lot more just inside zone with Jordan Howards, and that's what you were alluding to, kind of just you know getting the ball and just just kind of cramming it in the in those a gaps, and that was his response. And they ended up squeezing some more juice out of the run game in 2018. So he he's already shown the ability to adapt, and I think just nothing nothing was working in 2019, right? He kind of started off the season running you know inside zone, outside zone, and then as the running game continued to struggle. It was kind of the opposite of 2018 where like they were struggling with those. So he's like, all right, let's introduce some more scheme. Let's get, let's run some gap schemes. Let's let's run power counter, get some guys, get some offensive linemen moving, get, you know, get some easier angles for these guys. And they still struggled with that. And, you know, we, you know, we talked about, you talked about outside zone um, a little bit. And to me, a lot of the run game issues can be solved if they get good at outside zone, because like you talked about with, you know, locking the backside and we talked about that fold adjustment, there's a lot of things you can do with it that, if you're good at it, things off, there's a lot of things you can do off of that. You can, um, you know, the RPO game, the, the outside zone scheme is tailor made for the RPO game, regardless of what kinds RPO concept you want to run. There's a ton, a ton more flexibility with outside zone schemes than like inside zone RPOs. Cause you can only do so much with inside zone RPOs. So that alone to me, you know, if I was, if I was Nagy and, and a part of that coaching staff, I'd say, let's really get good at outside zone and all the different tags and adjustments off of it. And let's, you know, it, let's ride or die with that. We can, we can, we can tag, uh, we can run some other run schemes too, just to kind of mix things up if we need to, but a lot of their issues would be solved and we wouldn't be complaining and talking about it as much if they, if they were better at that scheme, that scheme's kind of where the chiefs, the Eagles, all those, you know, Nagy, you know, Nagy Peterson Reed type systems really get moving when outside zone can, can hit. Absolutely. And another thing that I'll throw in, because this is something I don't think I've ever talked about on the podcast because I didn't realize how important it was. But reading through these RPOs and looking at the different actions that you can run off of these running plays, it really occurred to me how important it's going to be for the Bears wide receiver blocking to get better in 2020 than it was in 2019. Because there were missed blocks all over the place. And honestly, as somebody who likes to think of himself as somebody studying football, I honestly thought, Bobby, that wide receiver blocking was just on the lowest of the totem pole. Like, the, that's something you don't need. Obviously, you know, wide receivers, they run routes. They catch touchdowns. They they go make plays downfield. Uh, blocking, that's just extra credit. Not in an RPO offense. Because when you kick the ball out to Allen Robinson, Anthony Miller, and you and that guy has two other receivers. Let's say it's Anthony Miller's got the ball, Allen Robinson and Taylor Gabriel are in front of him. Those two guys define what kind of yardage Miller's able to get. And if they create enough space that he can shake and bake the safety, you can turn that into a huge gain. Teams like the Chiefs, like the Eagles, have made livings off of doing this. And the Bears didn't seem like they were really able to, in part because their wide receivers 
really didn't hold up uh, much in terms of the RPO game. Am I seeing this correctly? Um, I, I'm going to be honest, I can't remember offhand uh, what the receiver blocking looked like in 2019, but I do remember some instances where, especially like on bubble screens and stuff, where, where the blocking could have been better and they could have gotten some more yards off of it. Um, but yeah, especially with RPOs, if you're going to run bubble screens like they did a ton of in 2018, um, receivers' ability to block and sustain blocks on the edges is, is critical. And, um, you know, something else too, like not even so much the RPOs, but you know, studying I, this past offseason, I spent a ton of time studying uh, Kyle Shanahan's offense with the 49ers. And a huge part of their system is, you know, what they'll do is they'll condense down the formation. So like whether they, you know, regardless of whether they have, you know, how many tight ends or fullbacks, the receivers will be within five yards of, of the of the tackles. OK, so what what they can do with that is against defenses that want to roll down a safety and play single highs. OK, so imagine an eye formation. OK, so we got the tight end to the right. We got two a receiver on each side in, a, in an eye formation. Okay, when we bring those receivers in, all right, so now the receivers are about five yards from the tight end. The defense, when they when they rolled, okay, so okay, so you got four defensive linemen, three linebackers. Each of those guys has a gap. Okay, so we're like you know, a four-three defense, right? A defensive tackle has an A gap, defensive tackle has a B gap, a linebacker has a B gap. You know, we go down the list, right? Well, what defenses do, especially when teams get into into I formations and bring a fullback into the game, and the the Bears did that in 2019. That was one of their answers to try to fix the run game, is uh, defenses will roll down a safety as an extra support player. Okay. So what that does is that, that tilts the numbers back in their favor. Okay. So the defense can, can have more, uh, success, you know, when they, when they get numbers back in their favor. So an important, one of the big reasons to, uh, to bring the, the receiver splits down is when the receivers have to block those safeties, they can dig out those safeties. Say we're running outside zone to the right where that tight end is. And the defense is like, okay, let's get an extra hat to the strong side of the formation. So they roll down the strong safety to the tight end side. Okay, so what instead of the offense having to either check the play into a pass play, play action, or run the other way, they can still run to that side if they if they um, an I formation is kind of a bad example because a fullback can usually account for for a strong safety roll down too, but um, the uh, the ability of that receiver to dig out a support player like that is critical in the run game as well. And I, I don't know if that's stressed or not in the Bears. Uh, uh, within the Bears' offensive structure, as much as it is San Francisco's, but that's still an important, an important block. There were plenty of blocks I saw from San Francisco where play could have went for five yards, but because you know their guys are are, are coached up and stressed to to dig out that support player, it gets a running back on a corner who doesn't want to tackle. Um, you know, imagine a corner trying to tackle Tariq Cohen in space, right? Like that's that's a problem. So, right. um, you know, get, getting a guy like Tariq Cohen out on space one-on-one with a corner because, you know, obviously when the receiver comes down for the strong safety, now the corner's free. And, and offenses, you know, especially offenses like the 49ers at times, will be like, hey, we'll, we'll take care of everybody in the box. We can get you on outside zone. We can get you, you know, to the soft edge. We can get you on a corner and, and go. And there are plenty of examples where that's the case. I want to say there was a 40-yard run against Baltimore last year where they, they got mostered out against the corner and the corner just whiffed and he's gone because there's nobody mm-hmm. else left because everybody else is sealed up. So, you know, that, you know, we, we talk about the RPOs, but the, the ability within the run game and to do stuff like that, it, it gives a coaching staff flexibility to be like, hey, let's, we can easily get our running back, you know, we can make our, our, our blocks for our offensive line easier. They don't have to push the zone scheme as far. They can work back to their combos. Um, it's it just stuff like that and, and, and stressing that stuff, you know, you know, in, in during training camp and, and really honing the, the receiver's rules for that stuff is an important part for a successful run game and RPO game. Absolutely. I mean, two plays that I'll just throw out there 
to bring it back to the Bears and point out exactly what you're talking about. In the in 2018, I could pick a whole bunch of examples, but I'll go with one from Week Three, Arizona. There's a run where I remember the Bears leak. They let the backside guy come in. This is a handoff to Tariq Cohen. And enough guys hit their blocks. White hair wastes a guy. Massey seals off the, the person who would cut into this right-hand side. That they get Tariq Cohen out in space. And out in space, he is just deadly. I mean, he, he chugs out 21 yards in the blink of an eye. And it's a very successful run because they got him into space. He made plays in space with the punt returner-esque vision that he has. And he made it work in 2019. Everybody remember that touchdown uh, Trubisky threw to Miller off of a bubble screen? That's the kind of stuff that could happen more often if those guys on the edge are blocking and they're consistent in it. I'm not trying to hammer the wide receiver blockers. It's more to point out, like you're saying, if you're going to run flares, if you're going to run bubble screens, when you're effective in that space, if that's something that you say, we're going to get really good at this, and then you do it successfully, that 13-yard run with Miller in space, what is it, falling into the end zone after taking a tackle right on the goal line? That's that happens a lot more often, and you get less of these one-yard, pseudo-pitiful cornerback screeching down and just slamming into the ball carrier, potentially risking a fumble, which happened enough in 2019. I totally get what you mean. These things blend together. But before I lose you, because we're definitely starting to get into the meat of this, I want to go back to decision-making and just how key it is at the quarterback position. Because in this offseason, not only have I watched a ton of Mitch Trubisky in 2019, but I watched a lot of Foles in the Eagles offense. And I, as I kept reading through this book, I kept seeing concepts that I was already familiar with because I'd seen Foles run it. I mean, the language really is outstandingly similar. Everything from Hank concepts to one that I'll highlight right now because I think it's really key. You talk about RPOs and being able to read one guy. There's this concept rife within the book called a spot dig, which uh, to those of you who don't know, envision a slot receiver runs an inside middle curl route. And if the linebacker sitting in that zone or, or man, but let's say it's a zone coverage, attacks that spot route, as it's called, there's what's called a dig route, which is a an inside breaking, imagine an L with your hand. You run up about 10 yards and you break straight into the middle of the field. That guy shows up right behind that zone linebacker. So you have a one-two decision based on one guy that is all over the West Coast playbook. And if you can't make those single decisions, you can't use that part of the offense, or at least it starts to look a lot more dangerous. It was amazing to me whether I looked at levels or drive or the halfback option or alert routes or this or that, or even things, pre-snap decisions, Bobby, like making decisions. I don't know if you guys, or for those of you who don't know, you most of these plays are designed to where there is a two safety side of the field and a one safety side of the field. And you have to make the pre-snap read on which one you're going to attack because against single high safeties, you usually want to work the boundary of the field where the safety will not be. And on the two safety side of the field, you usually want to work more the middle of the field because the safeties are trying to get outside and force you back in. And if you're not making these reads well, I can see how the offense just falls apart in an instant. Talk to me about the importance of quarterback decision-making. Let's, let's leave accuracy at the door. Let's just talk decision-making in making a play caller's plays look correct. So, so there's, yeah, so that, that, let's talk about the different types of reads for quarterbacks, okay? So the first and probably the most simple is what, what I call a pure progression. 
where a quarterback is assigned, okay, you have, there might be an alert. So that, that, that kind of throws a wrench into it. But in simple, in keeping it simple, uh, a pure progression is quarterback. He looks at one receiver first, looks at another receiver second, looks at another receiver third. And what that does is it, it simplifies things for him. He's not looking at defenders. He's not trying to read the coverage. It doesn't matter what the coverage is. You're looking here. If he's open, throw it there. If not, hitch up. And it's all these, the routes are timed with his feet, right? Like the first read in his progression is going to be at the top of his drop. And then the second read is with one hitch, third read, two hitch, right? So it, to me, that to me, those are the simplest reads because, you know, a quarterback can have absolutely no, generally speaking, a quarterback can have absolutely no understanding of coverage and still execute a pure progression read in theory, right? So, right. so that's the simplest. You were talking about, you know, kind of a pick a side read, okay? So that's another category where based on the number of safeties, you, you have a side uh, to go to. And like you talked about, okay, so say we got a trips formation. Okay. So there's a receiver by himself, you know, to the short side of the field. Well, if you get single high coverage, like you said, he's typically one-on-one. -on -one. There's not a ton of safety help that can get over to him. Okay. So that's, that's going to be where a lot of offenses will feature their single high beaters. When you get too high coverage, when you get too high coverage, like you said, you can attack the middle of the field. You can run, um, you can run, you know, dig routes. You can run the levels concept. You can run different things, um, you know, to high low the middle linebacker or, you know, whatever, right. That's just an example. So, so being able to diagnose that, and NFL, and and this gets tricky because NFL defenses are are good at disguising coverage, right? They can start in too high, they can creep to one high, they can start in one high, they can work back to two high. So that's 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 easier said than done, especially against good defensive coordinators that like to disguise coverage. So, um, so that's so that's a pick a side read, and then and then the third category is what I call coverage reads, where a quarterback will. So this, this kind of goes, this is more of a simplified version of a pick a side read. And I like to use these at the high school level with my guys. So what, okay. So say a defense starts out in too high coverage. Okay. We have, like I said, we got trips. So imagine the ball's on the left hash. we got trips to the right. So I'll tell my quarterback, okay, you read the weak safety for, for your, your key. Okay. So, so that left safety, the safety that's uh, on the quarterback's left side. Okay. If he stays high and outside, okay. You're going to work back to the cover, the, the, the too high side, the trip side, right? If he if he if he spins down, if he if he tries to get to the middle of the field because it's some sort of cover four solo concept, that means our, our X receiver, the backside receiver is one on one. So we're going to work him. So as you can see, that's similar to pick a side read, but it, the quarterback reads it post snap. And a lot of so like a lot of quick game concepts, you have to you have to do pick a side because you can't do a coverage read with like a three step concept because like. By the time the quarterback looks at that safety and then decides who to throw to, like they've already broken their route. So like you have to be careful with how you, how you time and set those up. Um, so you have to kind of push the, you end up pushing the ball a little bit further downfield with that when you, when you do the coverage reads as opposed to the pick a side read, but there's, there's definitely some similarities there with how like play design is structured in that sense. So those are the three big categories and Mitch, Mitch struggled with, with um, definitely the latter two. And he still struggled with pure progressions as well. I remember, I can't remember if this was the play he got hurt on in the Minnesota game, but it was the HB read concept with their slot fade concept. Okay. So that's a classic pick a side read. So they run uh, the HB read side. What it's designed to do against too high is to isolate the weak side linebacker on the running back. In most cases, it's Tariq Cohen. That's a great, that's a great matchup for the offense. It's a classic Tariq Cohen route too. I mean, he, it, like exactly. you say in your book, he's basically built for it. He's exactly. so good on that good option. He's good at it. He had a great feel for it in 2018. Defenses, when they get into single high coverage, they have a flat defender and a hook defender to that side of the field. So they can they can essentially squeeze Tariq Cohen without the corner having to be involved, right? The corner's gonna he's gonna take care of the X receiver on that vertical route. Okay. So that's his, you know, he's got the deep third responsibility. But they can they can bracket the option route. They can double team him. 
So what, so what Matt Nagy does is he packages that slot fade concept to the wide side of the field. Okay. So that to the trip side, that's, that's what happens there. And that's your answer against single high coverage. Well, I think this might be, like I said, I can't remember if this is a play he got hurt on or not in the Minnesota game, but I remember him running it. Is it the one with Miller getting into open space and he's there for about two? Yeah. It's, it's the one he gets hurt on, unfortunately. Yep, so Miller's running that slot fade. The Vikings are, I think they disguised it, so I think they rolled their coverage. But like we said, this can be a coverage read. You can coverage read um, uh, HB read with the slot fade. It doesn't have to be a pick aside pre-snap. Okay, so you can coverage read it. And I think, you know, I, I, I don't know exactly how they teach this in their playbook, but if it was me, I'd be, um, I'd be making that a coverage read. And Mitch does not see the safety roll down. He does not see the man coverage with Anthony Miller. And Anthony Miller's a, a tremendous receiver. If he gets... If he gets, uh, and I mean, obviously, same with Allen Robinson, but if he gets like, you know, average to above average quarterback play, Anthony Miller is going to just jump off the tape. Like he, he's, he's, he's fun <laughs> to watch. And he burned, he burned whoever was guarding him on that slot fade route. And he's just running, you know, he's got nobody within two or three yards of him. And Mitch is looking to the HB read side and he's got that route bracketed. So that's, that's one example there of, you know, and, 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 and it, it forced him to scramble because it wasn't open and he ended up hurting himself on the play. So that's, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that's what caused the injury, obviously, but like that's, you know, an intended downside. If he reads it correctly, the Bears are celebrating in the end zone, but instead now he's missing time because of uh, his injury. Right. And and that's where I think my biggest frustration has come. Honestly, I don't want to turn this into a Mitch Trubisky podcast. It isn't. But it is really intriguing watching this offense where you'll see passing concepts like that open up. And if they were if Mitch saw everything and missed all the throws, I think I'd feel a lot better. It's when he misses things like that that it makes me say, well, my understanding, Nick Foles has shown he can read the offense, operate the offense better, and you know what? If a ball whizzes over Miller's head there, I will live with it. But it's the fact that you see these various plays that happened, I mean, all throughout 2019, where somebody is running open on a side of the field that you would tend to think that that's where the read ought to be, that it definitely got frustrating. And I know there are plenty of people like me. You called me on it at one point during the season, I think after the Week 15 Packers game, that Mitch had a nice seven-yard completion on the left side to Cordero Patterson while Allen Robinson burned somebody on a wheel route on the right side. And the layman, the person who doesn't understand the playbook, like myself, can go, is Mitch supposed to see this? The answer is no. You take the gimme on the left side. That's where the read was. That was a well-run play. And But it's, like you're saying, the, the parts where he's looking at somebody covered that he doesn't need to be looking at and somebody else is running wide open or at least has a better shot at creating a completion, that gets a little frustrating. But... One thing that I will say, and this is something that, who knows, is Jimmy Graham going to be our savior? I don't know. But with Burton playing as poorly as he did, then getting hurt and giving way to effectively a cavalcade of undrafted free agents, it was interesting looking through this playbook at different concepts like the Seattle concept or the Y cross where there basically seemed to be a bunch of these beautiful play designs where the quarterback could put on a blindfold and hit a 25-yard completion. It's open so often. And that was something that definitely seemed to hurt. I know Matt Nagy has talked about the importance of that U tight end in his offense. (laughs) Do you think he's kidding about how important is this position? So tight ends, obviously very important and in any offense. And obviously, you know, it's important in the pass game for these guys to be able to create plays. And Jimmy Graham has showed that throughout his career, but 
he uh, he struggles in the run game. So I broke down Packers tape this year too, and I can see why the Packers let him go, especially with a coach like Lafleur, who you know it's his bread and butter's outside zone. So um, Jimmy Graham struggles very mightily in the run game, and, and and that might hurt the Bears if they try to use him in that capacity. But I don't think they will. I think that new guy they drafted out of Notre Dame. I think they expect him to be a big contributor, especially. Um, especially early. I mean, obviously with this truncated off off season, it'll be interesting, but um, yeah, it's a very important position. I was happy to see them address it in the draft. You know, some people might say they took him too high, but you know, I mean, I haven't watched a ton of tape on him, but um, it's an important position in the offense and you know, they're they're being proactive and trying to address it with, with, with drafting him. But yeah, I mean, I don't think Jimmy Graham's gonna, um, you know, he's a, he's a serviceable tight end. Um, you know, he's to me, he's more of that U tight end. I mean, obviously you can isolate him as a Y, like in a nub set, you know, when you flex him out or something, but um, yeah, he just struggles so much with blocking that, you know, to me like that, you know, when we think of like, you know, people like to throw around, you know, the Y tight end, the U tight end. Um, I don't, I don't see him being an every down Y tight end for the Bears no. this year. No way. And Cole Komet's too big. I'll give you the synopsis on him. Uh, and for anybody else who hasn't watched a bunch of tape, Cole Komet to me, it, he looks like a young Kyle Rudolph. I mean, he it's funny because they both come out of Notre Dame, but he's just not fluid enough for me to look at him and say, this guy's the next Travis Kelsey, Zach Ertz. But he's also really big. And so that Kyle Rudolph, Jason Witten type of player, I could see it. He's he's much more a Y and could be successful in that Y role. And you know what? If that means that Jimmy Graham does what I feel like he did in New Orleans, which is play very big wide receiver also known as the U tight end. I think that's fine because the Bears sorely missed it. I, I understand that they seem to like Jesper Horstead. That's great. But he seemed like he was kind of just there, like happened to be in the role more than he was special in it. And it's something that I'm hoping in 2020 will get shifted. But look, at this point, when it comes to 2020, I just want to see improvement. You've talked about the outside zone. If when it comes to looking forward, what changes do you think ought to be made? Where are you looking for growth? What do you see at the end of this tunnel? Yeah, so I mean, I it'll be interesting, right? Especially bringing in new coaches um, on what they do. I I don't I don't know if the system so much is going to change. Um, obviously, bringing in Nick Foles is you know a big part of it. I think that we're going to end up seeing more changes. Um, yeah, obviously, with a different quarterback potentially playing and most likely playing. Um, but yeah, I mean, they'll make tweaks. They'll, I mean, no doubt they'll. they'll it, it, most interesting is to see what they do with the run game because that's something that. You know, he's not married to – I think Matt Nagy's more married to the different stuff in his past game, and I think the coaches he brought in, for the most part, um, do the same things as well. So figuring figuring out the run game, getting that squared away, I think that that solves a lot of these issues. Um, and then obviously better quarterback play at, at reading this stuff because there are guys open within the different the different style of reads for the quarterback. So, um, it, it, I mean, every year obviously they, they tool up the pass game and, and – um, you know, dress it up differently, maybe combine different concepts or maybe run something different. But I don't expect to see a ton of change there. But with the run game, that's going to be interesting. And, and the RPOs and what they do with that. Makes sense. I guess I'll ask one final question or maybe, who knows, maybe it'll be a series of questions. There's one more point that I forgot to get to. Let's get to it now. 
I know a lot of people talk as if you can switch schemes on the fly. I'll quote one of, I think, the most common things I see on football Twitter, on Windy City Gridiron, on any of it, which is great coaches adjust to their players and bad coaches stick to their schemes. And they talk as if sometimes changing the playbook is as simple as it is in Madden, where you just flick through and you say, I want to play as the Bears, but I want to run New Orleans' playbook. I want to play as the Bears, but I want to I want to run the Carolina Panthers-Cam Newton offense. Is it that easy as a play caller? Or is it more like you find your roots in a system? I don't know. Talk through this. How, yeah. how easy is it to mix these schemes up? So I, I think and I talked about this in that blog post that I mentioned, right? Like you can tweak stuff during the season. It's very hard to just go full scale, change your offense during the middle of the season. Um, and I think what they do, especially in the past game, like we talked about different examples of like Anthony Miller, Tariq Cohen, like different concepts they run that fit their personnel. Like it just fits their personnel. Um, there, there are different, you know, like I think Matt Nagy to a degree kind of abandoned play action, um, different play action concepts that he could have he could have spent some more time on um, in both 2018 and 2019. I think that could have been a bigger part of his offense. It's a it's a good sized chunk of Andy Reid's offense and even Doug Peterson to a lesser extent. So like, Absolutely. You know, he, he can focus on those parts of the playbook a little more. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they, they, you know, they're not going to they're not going to just run somebody else's playbook. But the, the thing with the NFL is most playbooks are pretty similar right they, they may they might call things differently they might read things slightly differently and teach them differently but a lot of the ways they try to create one-on-one matchups for guys you know and put them in mismatches is is relatively consistent so it, it's just a matter of you know tool you know mixing it up tooling it right making sure you have the right guys in the right uh right spots um but yeah i mean it, that's that's basically that's basically the gist of that makes sense and not to mention, you talked a little bit about how not every play call is a bread and butter play call. Uh, I guess that's something that we could spend a little bit of time on in that blog post that you talked about. Things like you can't build an entire offense on sprint outs. You can't necessarily just run right. like the shovel play or the shovel pass as or, I don't know as an every down run. That some play calls are the simple six yard out route that you're going to take that a hundred percent of the time. You're not going to. I, one thing that I love to rib analytics Twitter for is their love for deep passing. The gist is the deep the deep routes are the most effective. Just run those. And sometimes I feel like that misses the point of what makes play calling as tough as it is. That you've got to run simple things like spot dig, like Omaha stick. You got to run little things to pull the defense up so that you can take those shots downfield. You want to draw out that single safety coverage so that you can get Allen Robinson in a post route one on one and. That's what the Bears did in week 16 of 2018, and they punished them for it immediately. The, these things are tough. And even just reading through this, again, can't recommend it enough to Bears fans, it, it really illustrates how complicated being a play caller is, how many plays are on that play sheet, how you need to understand game flow to even call these plays well. I know you've talked about being a play caller yourself. If there was something you were going to leave us with, Something people don't know about play calling. What is it? It's an ever-evolving process, and I actually do have to get running after this one. So, um, yeah, it's an ever-evolving process um, that if, if you want to be a good play caller, you got to grow. you got to learn from your mistakes. you got to learn from that stuff. And, you know, learning to take input from others is important too, right? And I think, I think Coach Nagy's doing that, bringing in guys, um, bringing in different guys this offseason, getting different opinions, guys who are fresh to the situation. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that, you know, in the off season, you want to make sure you have all the answers. Um, you want to have all the answers within your system. You want to be able to get to anything that you can. Um, and then obviously week to week, you know, once you get closer to the season, paring it down to, um, okay, what are our guys good at? What were they good at in summer camp and training camp? And then, um, you know, trying to build your, build your offense around those base schemes. And like you said, you know, um, have your shot plays in there, the different, the different things to attack with, um, but yeah, it's 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 a never evolving process. That's that's the biggest my biggest takeaway so far in my short coaching career. That's really awesome. Bobby, it's been fabulous having you on. Where can listeners find you online? So I'm on Twitter. I'm at B underscore Peters 12. Um, I recently, like I said, I wrote a 2019 San Francisco 49ers offensive manual. Um, I like to think I, I learned a lot from the Bears manual and I uh, kind of made that one a little bit better. It's more complete, more thorough. And then actually right now I'm just about to wrap up a 2017 Patriots passing manual. And that is even taking it a step further from the Niners book um, in regard to breaking things down, you know, and kind of explaining the different pass concepts um, within the Patriots offense. And they do a ton of unique, uh, a unique stuff. They give their, their different receivers so much freedom on certain routes. And I'll, I kind of explain why they do it and why it works against different coverages and um, you know, kind of the benefits for it, you know, if you can get guys on the same page. So um, that's that's something I've been working on and having been having a ton of fun with and hopefully should be out in the next couple of weeks here. <laughs> Sounds like a great way to use a Hall of Fame quarterback. Not going to lie, but we can talk all about that. I know you got to run. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Bobby. I'll talk to you soon. No problem. Thanks for having me on. And Bears fans, that's going to wrap up this week's show. If you enjoyed it, please rate it or like it, whatever you can do on your platform, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever else, to promote our show and help out the Windy City Gridiron podcasting platform. Every single review helps, so please, if you give us a five-star rating, know you're doing us a huge service. If you liked what Bobby had to say, go follow him on Twitter at the address he mentioned earlier, or you can follow myself at Robert K. Schmitz. That's R-O-B-E-R-T-K-S-C-H-M-I-T-Z. And if you like what I have to say, you can also follow me over on YouTube at Run Pass Opinion. Just search that. I should come right up to where you can find more Bears analytical content all over the place. And until next time, Bears fans, bear down. And thanks so much for bearing with me.